Hello and welcome back to Two Barstools and Nights, talking about the hospitality industry then, now, and in the future. I am Professor Nathan Dodge, joined by my buddies, colleagues, brothers in arms, Professor Brian Connors, and Chef John Noble Massey. What's up, Dodgy? What's up, Dodgy? How are you doing? We're doing good. So we are all members of the FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management, and at least these two guys are experts in the hospitality industry. I don't know why they keep me around. I guess I'm just comic relief. Comic relief, yes. Yes. And you're the guy that makes us all look good. That's true. It's true. So we are actually socially distancing today. Last week we were uh, we were all in the same room. Today we're back to our respective houses, the the new normal. So I don't know about you guys, but every morning I wake up, I have an alert on my phone that from either Google Photos or Facebook saying like what I was doing this day five years ago or ten years ago or whenever. And so I got mine today, and I was on vacation like three times in a row over the last five years. And I am losing. I don't know about you guys, but I am jonesing to get away. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about what are we doing to at least feel like we're getting away. We've got a great guest on today. We've got Rachel Sampson, or, or uh, Stick and Fork in Me, I guess she's called. She's a... <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Really? That's her. So uh, she's an Instagram influencer with 300,000 followers. And she's posting some awesome content, um, food, travel. We're going to talk to her about how she's feeling about getting away and what she's doing right now in the new normal. So, Brian, let's talk about some Bacardi stuff. Anything? Oh, one of, one of my favorite times of the week here. So uh, many of you have joined us last week for our first of the series of Bacardi Talks. Thank you guys very much if you joined us. If for whatever reason you missed it, uh, it will be available on our Bacardi Center of Excellence website, as well on the LinkedIn page for the Bacardi Center of Excellence. Guys, we had over 350 plus patrons or guests or learners, whatever you want to call them, industry professionals, uh, join us for that talk. So big thank you, of course, to uh, Pete Carr, Ryan Bibbo, Heidi Vargas, and all the executive team from Bacardi North America. That was a great conversation and uh, looking forward to having some more. So we'll definitely PR the heck out of that coming up. Uh, so yeah, that was awesome. Really good. We got a lot of questions that we've got to figure out the answers to and put those up because I know a lot of people are asking questions. Yep. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. So I actually sent those uh, questions to Heidi and Ryan uh, and Pete yesterday. So as soon as we get them up, we'll respond uh, virtually right back to the people that asked them. And then, of course, put those also up on the Bacardi Talks link on the Bacardi Center of Excellence webpage for that stuff. A quick update on classes. Dodge, feel free to jump in. Classes are, are filling up nicely. Be mindful that some of them may be going on a wait list due to social distancing. Dodge, is that still our strategy? So yeah, we, we want these classes to be face-to-face. We don't really want them remote because while I can teach how whiskey is made and how rum is made remotely, it's tough to do a tasting. Yeah, yeah and that's one of our challenges. So, and how about our challenges? Cooking guys, right? I mean, and so, how, yeah. so we're trying to keep the classes small enough so that we are safe, we are social distancing, and we're able to keep that six-foot gap between every single person and really want to make sure no one gets sick. So that's our number one priority is is our students' health. So we're trying to keep the classes small, which unfortunately means, well, we don't have as many seats to put everyone. So if you were really hoping to get into one of these classes, do it ASAP. Yeah, talk to your advisor. Close there. And then also our beverage entrepreneurship, we are going to have that. If you need to take senior seminar, 
we were able to substitute beverage entrepreneurship. If you are going to be our, you are currently in the beverage management track that goes for the wine side, goes for everything else. Please talk to your advisor. Feel free to reach out to myself or Nathan Dodge. So we look forward and I do have some space available in that. And trust me when I tell you, that's going to be a main part of the Bacardi Innovation Fund. So we got a lot of cool stuff going on. I'm excited to get to Rachel. So, but all good things from Bacardi uh, are moving along quite nicely and check out Bacardi Teach. What's that, buddy? If you're, if you're not a FIU student, you can become one. You know, you can register and become an FIU student. We would love to have you. We've got an alumni event coming up that's going to be a lot of fun. And you can one day be one of our alums. So please join us. Nice plug. Please, nice, please plug. Join us. nice plug. Yeah. That's all good. There you go. All right, Johnny. Very good. Well, I'd like to formally welcome our guest, Rachel Sampson, and her Instagram title is Stick a Fork in Me. Uh, I don't know, Rachel, if anyone's ever addressed you as Stick a Fork in Me uh, before today, but... Uh, <laughs> of course, yeah. First. I mean, I get, I get, I've gotten all the nicknames bringing off of that, too. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's actually been about a year since you and I met through our mutual friends, Mr. Scott Eddy and Anna Forrester. And we're and actually at the Taste of the Caribbean, which is yes. unfortunately, obviously not going to be around this year. But uh, if you could just share a little bit about your, your background. I'm familiar for our listeners. Just share a little bit about your background and then what you've been doing with the, uh, some of the COVID stuff. Sure. Well, I mean, my actual background has not been um, something in the hospitality industry, which is interesting to make the transition into it. And it's kind of been a whole new discovery for me. Um, I spent 13 years in construction management and kind of started my food page on the side. It was just, you know, it was never meant to be a thing. It was kind of a hobby. It was like years of posting food on my regular Instagram and all my friends saying, start a food page, start a food page, you know, and it was, I love photography. I love food. I was always finding like the weirdest things and, you know, things with like shock value. And, um, you know how you were saying the Facebook memories, like every once in a while I get a Facebook memory of like some weird, like upside down, triple fried hot dog from like 12 years ago, taken on a Blackberry phone. Like it's, you know, the worst (laughs) picture possible, but it's like just this weird thing. And like, I never had an outlet or like a place to put it. So, you know, kind of became a thing that Instagram food pages were growing. And and I feel like I got in kind of right as the market was kind of heating up. You know, there was a bunch of food pages that I followed and um, I lived in New York. I'm originally from Chicago, but I lived in New York City and kind of ate out at a regular pace. And then when I moved to Miami um, with my former company about four years ago, I was just constantly discovering new places and eating out. And that's when it really became, okay, I need a place to put this. So mm-hmm. I started my page and um, then I ended up leaving that company that I was with. And I kind of said, you know, maybe I can make this a thing. Like, let me push forward. Let me see, you know, kind of job hunting, but none of the companies felt right. And I was really passionate that I wanted a place that I fit in well. And I really, you know, I always feel like you need to be happy at your job. And, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I made my job what I'm happy at. So I, I grown this account and, you know, it was a while before I 
really started working with brands and really learning kind of what's behind it and, and the difference between just the term influencer, which I think has a lot of negative connotations behind it at times, and a person who has actual influence, you know, like more and more now as I've hitting bigger numbers, I, I really see I make something and I have people every day that send me a picture of the exact same thing that they've gone home and made or people that tell me they they went home and made this with their kids or they bought a brand or it's not even necessarily something I'm advertising, but just something I put in my stories, how I've gone to a yoga class or I've, you know, tried this juice cleanse and, mm. and people want to do that. And so it's been really interesting to to connect with different people and and really go different places with this page. That's awesome. I, um, I imagine the transition too from construction to to food and, and uh, cre- creating digital content was just something huge. Did you receive any advice that kind of sticks with you from friends, family, or other, other people that were doing what you were doing that kind of sticks with you or that helped you? Um, you know, I, I've been lucky here in Miami. There are a number of us and there are some big accounts that I've followed for a long time and I've been able to become friends with the Naughty Fork. And I have another friend that has kind of grown with me and I really learned from them. And, you know, it's, it's a way to model my page after some of these bigger accounts and really like learn the ins and outs of the business. But there's not a rule book. It's interesting when you're working for yourself, it kind of, it's, Mm. it it works as much as you do. So I I sometimes think I spend too much time working, but I also see results. The more I work, the the further I get, whether it's connecting and growing my audience or, um, you know, meeting people that bring me other opportunities. Well, I'll tell you that I've been thumbing through your Instagram page and, and, the, the serial stuff, you know, that not my thing, but mm-hmm. I, I definitely was, was jonesing for those little sliders from a Royal Castle that I saw. I haven't been to that place since I was a kid. That's the yeah. place in Miami, right? Yeah, it's on 79th Street. Um, it's, it's a total nostalgic feeling. And, you know, I, so many people have kind of messaged me and said, oh, I used to go to that place all the time. Or it was a chain at one point. This is the last remain, remaining, the Miami Royal right. Castle. Uh, yeah, I haven't been there in forever, and I was like, I didn't even know it still existed. So I was really excited. I think that uh, when we get to go back to work, it's not that far away from work. We're going to definitely do a little drive-by. Over Road trip in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I need a sack of sliders. Those things are really good. So I always uh, – I've been following uh, Rachel, obviously, for the past year, and I've noticed that you've – you've kind of tweaked your, your content just a little bit. You're doing more of the cooking videos and, and that. And, and I just wanted to, what's your, your, your feedback on those? So, so it's interesting, you know, I am not a chef. I always have said, this is why I got into this because I'm constantly going out to eat and I'm constantly, you know, traveling and, and checking out food of different places and different cuisines. And then here I've found myself in a position as quarantine started, well, I couldn't go to restaurants anymore. And even though there was takeout at the beginning, I didn't even necessarily feel safe with that. And, you know, I really kind of was put in a position where it was like, okay, I'm going to start making some recipes. And there, there were failure failures (laughs) that our recipe was postable. And, you know, that kind of became part of it too. You know, when I posted things, 
I kind of tried to remain open to some of the criticism and I had some of my chef friends hit me up and, and actually, you know, give me some pointers or I would text a chef. Great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm making this, this caramel, caramelized sugar, brown sugar in the pan. And, you know, I take it off and it gets hard, you know, like they're answering questions for me and everyone's been really helpful. Um, I kind of, I'm like, oh, my chef friends must be cringing. Like, how did she make that? How did, why did she do that? Not, you know, not at all. I want to try, I want to try those, uh, those, uh, what was it? Two or three ingredient bagels that you had. I want to try really those. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, yeah. and they look good too. So cool stuff. Yeah. You know, and I also, right. So as we look through your, your stuff, you've got a lot of recipes that are themed or, or characterized from like Disney or Sesame street. What was your favorite Disney cartoon or character growing up? Oh, you know, I, I love Disney. I've always been a Mickey person. My mom had a thing for Mickey. So like when I was little, my grandmother lived in Orlando in St. Pete, actually. And I would go down there and visit her and we would go to Disney. So that was always my connection to Florida. And like when I moved down here, it was, that was also very nostalgic for me. I've been doing a lot of like the Sesame Street characters lately. I did a, um, Cookie Monster fudge at first. It was just so easy. And there's just something about Cookie Monster, the combination of cookies and the blue. And and it's funny because, you know, Nathan said, I'm not a fan of those cereals. All the cereals, all these kind of themed treats are just made meant to be fun. You know, they may not be someone who's making fun of this cookie crisp I put with blue milk the other day. It was like another play on Cookie Monster. And people are like, but why? It, they look beautiful. It just looks like a, a I'd be in a diabetic coma. That's, that's my only problem. Right. Well, well a lot of that things is are meant definitely to not be your only problem. Yeah. <laughs> I get that critique a lot. Everyone's like, "Well, how are you staying fit? You're eating all this." Well, I share it. I, you know, and I, I spend a lot your of neighbors time must love you. Battle yeah. it. Well, awesome. Uh, is there any, uh, you're talking about nostalgia and when in class, I always talk about the connection either uh, between people and food and people and, and certain drinks, whatever that may be. Is there any food that you miss from, from home? I know you're a Midwest girl at heart. What Midwestern food, you know, kind of makes you feel connected at home? Well, I would say it's Midwestern food per se, but one of the things that my mother always made for me growing up was her brisket. And that's mm. something that I miss. And I don't find a lot of in Miami, just that kind of Jewish style of home cooking that I don't get often. I don't get home cooking a lot at all. I just, I went to a friend's house the other night and, and he made chicken cutlets. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is the stuff that I don't get in a restaurant. That's fresh. That's, you know, what I love. Yeah. That's awesome. What makes the Miami restaurant scene so unique, so different? You've been in uh, Chicago. You've been in New York. What makes Miami, Miami I in your mind? It's just so diverse. There's just so many different styles. I mean, obviously, and when I lived in New York City, that's the melting pot of, of the United States. But Miami's really like that as well. It's definitely been an adjustment for me to kind of get introduced to all of these um, Latin American foods and I mean they're all great it's just it's it's not stuff that I grew up with so I'm like excited when I see all of these different kind of 
countries and restaurants popping up everywhere. And Miami is very fast moving. There's always something opening. And, you know, I get asked a lot about my favorites and it's, it's hard to get a favorite because it's, I hardly get to go back to the ones that I loved. Like I loved this restaurant, but there are so many more that I need to make it my business to go and visit that I hardly get to circle back. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think that's something that we always get asked whether it's your favorite bar, your favorite restaurant. We're always looking for uh, divey places. Uh, well, Brian in particular. Is a, a thank you. Thank bar. you. Thank you. I'm going to yes. write a whole yes. textbook on the, the art and science of dive bars. So yes. we used to up in Rhode Island, we used to have the fall foliage tour. Where we all, when the restaurants finally slowed down up there, we'd go out and find the diviest bar we could. Some of them I cannot mention. And one did beat me in champagne sales in the summer of 2001. <laughs> Because they had a, a program called Legs and Eggs. And I'll let you guys use oh. your imagination from that. Oh, Rachel knows oh, that one. She's yeah. like, oh, I, <laughs> I went to oh, college in Boston, so I spent some time. In yeah, America. true story, true story. Same. So uh, I was working with a, a big restaurant up in Newport, Rhode Island called the Clark Cookhouse. And we were one of the largest, and they still are one of the largest, Booth Co accounts in the state of Rhode Island. I had a relationship with the rep. We did very well. I sold a lot of boxes. And one particular year... Uh, whenever that place that will remain nameless with legs and eggs, they started featuring uh, Pico as their sparkling and champagne of choice. Oh boy, they got me pretty good on that one. Hey, Rach, as we got you going, you know, I'm fascinated by the simple fact that the, you have almost the population of Wyoming following you on Instagram. Think about that for a minute. Almost the population of Wyoming is following you. You have that much influence over that stuff. So, particularly for some of our student listeners or some of our avid uh, Instagrammers out there, or shall we say wannabe, and I know you don't like the word, uh, the influencer. We could talk about that. How, you know, what are some of the basic steps? You know, how did you build that level of following? And is there a secret sauce? Is there a magic wand? Or how'd you do it? I think engagement is key. I spend a lot of time on the app. I spend a lot of time answering almost probably every DM almost every comment. It's, it's really something that is a time commitment is what connects you to people and makes them want to follow and makes them, you know, not want to unfollow. Um, you know, you might not like my cereal, but you're not going to unfollow because you know that, you know, there's going to be something else behind it. It's not just this particular thing that you didn't love. It's, it's really a lot more time, I think, than people think. I spend probably 50, 70 hours a week working, whether I'm editing or, you know, answering DMs or just combing through hashtags, looking for something, or at this point I've been writing up a recipe, or if I'm trying to connect with a restaurant to set something up or going to a shoot and the hours that I spend getting ready and driving. And, you know, there, there's so many little things to it that I think people don't necessarily consider when they think a post, especially with now that I've gotten into video which I do think video tends to bring a lot more followers than photos. Um, there's, mm-hmm. It's just so much more engaging. And the, the algorithm of Instagram, I think, pushes videos a lot more um, once you have some traction on your account. So that's been a huge factor of growth. And, you know, I saw a huge spurt over quarantine that, I mean, hopefully all those people will stick with, but it's people didn't have a lot that's to right. eat and everyone eats. So, you know, I follow a lot of accounts that were showing you know, outfits, they're, they're fashion influencers. And I saw a difference in between people who changed their tune and they were no longer, 
you know, showing me this dress that I had nowhere to wear, but they were showing me these cute two-piece lounge sets that I can hang out in at home, that I can jump on a Zoom hangout with friends, that I can go take a walk to, you know, take my mm-hmm. evening walk in. And those are kind of what sticks. And, and that's one reason that I kind of changed my content uh, during this time. Interesting. Quick little follow-up. Uh, sorry, Johnny. So this is beyond just a side hustle. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm always very curious, particularly, you know, I'm a marketing guy and I, I've been a marketing professor for a very long time. But, uh, you know, how does, and, and it doesn't have to be you specific, but in your expertise, how does an individual that kind of gets known as an influencer, how do you actually make money? How do you, you know, create revenue and income? Because this is your full-time job now. Mm-hmm. It is. And there was a lot of time in the building stage that although I considered myself working full-time, there was no sort of full-time income. So that's something you kind of need to be prepared to, to as well. Um, I, I went full-time from the beginning because I was job searching at that time. Um, so that's not necessarily typical. And I know a lot of people work to a certain point and then leave their full-time job to pursue this. So connecting with brands and representing them in different ways, whether I'm an ambassador or the, whether they're send me, sending me a product and I'm making a post or whether there's different, you know, sometimes you're selling a product and you get a percentage of sales. That's not, I, I don't like to work with, in that way with affiliate marketing because my work to me, making the post you know, editing the post, putting it out there, following up, that's a lot of work. So that's to me what I need to be paid for as opposed to let me keep pushing this one product and let me see the return on sales. Mm. Um, But connecting with brands is really the main source of income. That's interesting. Now, how do you get contacted by restaurants, resorts, that type of stuff to kind of influence uh, their guest decision-making process? Uh, Or is it mainly a brand or a product? Or a Um, chef? A little of each, as my account was smaller, different travel opportunities came my way, but they weren't necessarily paid. Um, And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's like, oh, you get a great all expenses trip to wherever. And I can, I need to make a decision. Is that worthwhile to me? Do I want to do that and help advertise their resort or, you know, and then as you get bigger and you're really reaching more people and have a stronger influence, then it usually becomes a paid thing. So it's always constant. I mean, you're basically, you got to keep up with it and identify what's going to be the most time-consuming, profitable ROI, if you will, return on the investment for you. Right, right. It's constant. And and you you don't know what's coming your way. And, And for that reason as well, you know, in March, I saw any campaign that I had, oh, we're going to, we're going to pause that, you know, we'll, we'll pick this up after COVID ends. And some of that is pretty indefinite. So there has not been much work at this time. And, you know, all these recipes that you're seeing is just me maintaining my account and building my account and hopefully my account for, you know, what's to come. Sorry, 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 Johnny. I I was, I got very curious. No, no, you know, it's interactive, which is fabulous. I love, um, I love to hear a a couple of things, Rachel, that you mentioned your, your, responding to every DM I, I, or, or message that you get. And I had students ask me in class, you know, should they be responding to things on social media when they're in, in a restaurant in a hospitality business? I'm like, well, the idea is it, of social media is that it's social in quotes. 
And so you should be interacting with your, your guests or, or people at, that take the time out of their schedule to do the same. So that, that's huge. Uh, also love your flexibility, right? So in, in shifting gears, and that's something that we try and teach with the students as well. Any other than being flexible, any other life lesson tips for our, our, our listeners? I know you said you kind of just grew in, into the uh, digital media and, and grew into developing your account. Any, any just overall life lessons for, for our listeners? I mean, I think if I could go back, um, you know, I majored in American studies with a minor in education. And I told you from there, I went into, first I went into retail, then I went into construction management and it was great to have a liberal liberal arts degree and it was very broad. But if I can go back, I would have had a bigger focus in business. Um, I feel like there's a big part missing of how I'm able to even handle some of the incoming uh, requests that I get and negotiations. I feel like the technological side of it can sometimes be difficult for me. You know, getting, getting a website up and running is, is a major project of mine that I'm not even quite sure how to tackle still. And I've been putting it off and putting it off. Um, so, you know, you kind of just move forward as you go, which is a positive and a negative. It's like, nobody's pressuring me to get something done, but I know the things that I need to do, but all of that kind of becomes evident as you go. Uh, and the cool, what's your favorite cooking tip that you've picked up along the way, either something that you've actually learned and wow, I didn't really know that it could come together. Or you, you mentioned calling up some chef friends or, or getting you know, feedback there. That what's, what's your favorite cooking tip that you um, want to share with our listeners? Let's see. You know, I don't know that I'm qualified to give out cooking tips. <laughs> well, it's oh, funny that, that brown sugar syrup that I was trying to make, it was to mm-hmm. go with these little tapioca pearls, these boba, um, mm-hmm. which is like a popular uh, milk tea drink. And I made them myself twice, like as a sample without filming it. And then I've made the packaged kind a few times now and they have always have a great response because it's something you get in a bubble tea shop and like most of those shops are closed. Cool and straws and yeah. Yeah, and, and people packaging. are like, oh, wow, wait, hold on, I could do that at home. Like I love bubble tea. Like yeah. I didn't realize it what how easy it is to put together. And I have the the day that I filmed it, for whatever reason, the amount of moisture that was in them, they kind of deflated. So if you look at this post that I made, they're like this weird shape and all the comments are like, and because it kind of went viral and I got a lot of great comments, but there was all these comments like, they look like teeth. They look like blood cells. They look like corn. Like, <laughs> and, and you know, I, I really had people that also wrote, I really appreciate the fact that even though they didn't turn out exactly as you wanted them to, you still posted them. You know, like I would probably try this at home and that's how they would turn out. So I'm glad that you made it okay that they weren't. Mm-hmm. That's great. I ah, see. So that, there you go. Uh, that, that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to ask you uh, a question that I'm going to ask my, my colleagues the same question. Uh, any pet peeves that from either other, other uh, social media accounts or things that you see other people doing in, in your world that... Uh, mean you turn turn the other way you know I have a problem with people not being authentic 
and everyone kind of does what they need to do or can do to, to build their accounts. But I see people buying followers. I see people buying likes. And in the end, that really takes away from the hard work that, that we do. You know, I can put up a photo and it, maybe it'll, it'll do okay. It'll get 2000, 3000 likes. Sometimes it does way better. Sometimes it does worse, but then you see people and I I know by their impressions, I know by the rate of growth, you know, I spent so much time analyzing Mm. my insights that I just know how accounts work. And I see these people with a handful of followers and that number's not growing, but they have, you know, 5,000 likes exactly on every single photo. And I just, it wasn't a good photo. And there's like six comments and, you know, all the comments are from other bloggers saying, oh my God, that's great. Oh my God, that's great. Oh my God, that's great. Like, it's Mm. just, there's, it's just not fair to others to, to kind of go like that and, and not be authentic. And, and it's not for everyone, you know, not every account, but at some point I feel like I've distinguished myself with hard work to move forward. And so I think in the end, that's what shows to the brands. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Uh, Mr. Dodge for you. You know, I I have been on uh, Instagram for approximately. So I'm relatively new to the the whole, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. Like it's not my thing. I'm not, um, the social media guy, I was a late uh, adapter to Facebook. So I currently have about 200 followers. So I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> so clearly not the state of Wyoming. Clearly not even a town in Wyoming. Probably a the state of... Do uh, you, then that's what's important. If they're engaged people, if they follow you, engaged. you want to follow you. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, it's, it's fun. Now that we are part of the Bacardi Center of Excellence, I post a lot of, of pictures of booze. It, it kind of slows me down from drinking it so fast, I guess, because I'm taking a picture of it. But, you know, I don't really have any pet peeves because I don't know what, I didn't even know you could buy followers. I thought that was kind of cool. And, and you're saying that's a bad thing. I knew I could buy followers. I would. Tomorrow he's got more than the state of Wyoming. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, he'll, he'll be out there with, with checkbook in hand. Uh, mortgage, right? so, what yeah. mortgage? Who needs a mortgage? Yes, I'm going to be popular. <laughs> yeah. For you, no, Mr. Cat. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll stick with the, uh, the, this, the social uh, theme and then I'll, of course, add my own flavor. You know, people, when yet people have to take photos of whatever you're eating or drinking first before you're able to dig in uh, or enjoy the experience, that drives me absolutely crazy. Uh, but, you know, I love when you say pet peeves. Actually, I have a, a book on my desk that has a list of pet peeves. Uh, one of my former students, Carlos. Uh, De La Fuente gave that to me many, many years ago because uh, when I teach restaurant management, as you are now, Johnny, and I'll be joining your class mm-hmm. this Thursday, um, it's good to have pet peeves, particularly in our industry, because that keeps you sharp. That's, you have a different eye on things. But how about this one? And I want to see everyone's kind of reaction. And for those of you listening, so please feel free to be verbal. Lipstick on glasses or lipstick on wine glasses oh. particularly is one of my largest pet peeves because it shows no attention to detail. That bartender, that service provider, that som, hopefully not a sommelier, is just putting it out. And I think those days are going to be gone, uh, that you know everyone's going to be more heightened than ever. Johnny, can I do a quick couple follow-ups? 
Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You, you know, because of course, you know, I have my little notepad going, and I get very inspired. So this morning, I'm listening um, to the Today Show in the background as I'm going through the evening emails that came in, and mainly those are all Dodge's fault. Uh, but uh, yeah. so on one of the interviews this morning, they were saying that unfortunately, this is this is true. About fifty percent of our independent restaurants are not going to come back. They're not going to survive. Um, this is a sad truth because when the federal funding kind of runs out. And the volume is still not there. And, you know, we're helping as much as we can, particularly with the FIU Relief Fund, with the Sobe uh, project, that type of stuff. But, Rachel, here's the question. What restaurant in Miami area, all right, must survive out of your book? What must survive? Mm. Ooh, I stumped her. You did. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll tell you. Um, I spend a lot of time at B Bistro in Brickell. Um, that is a restaurant where it's it's my local, you know, cafe. It's where I go for coffee. It's it's where I bring friends from out of town to brunch. Always has been before I had any relationship with them. And it became a place during COVID where I stopped by and talked to my friend uh, who's the manager there and really saw the different things that they went through from the planning of mm. paying their employees, you know, initially when we all thought, oh, I think we're going to be closed for two weeks, you know, like that was like <laughs> a crazy yeah. idea yeah. in a shock and, and then saying we're, we're going to cover our employee salaries for two weeks. And then there's the different stages of that. And even up in the past handful of weeks um, where they, they had like 10 days to, completely order all these plexis and change all the menus and just get everything up to standard. And that list is long. I don't know if you guys have seen yeah. that, that list of things. Yeah, but it's incredibly long. It was like on page 144 or something. It was, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but just seeing that and then watching them reopen and just knowing that that much work and attention and attention to detail goes into all of these small businesses and it's really something that's easy to forget. You just think, oh, they shut their doors the other day. Oh, there they are opening them back up. But like, there's so much that went on in between. And some places are scrambling. Their employees found work elsewhere. And yep. some places still have too many employees and they, they don't know how to handle that. And, you know, everything's just kind of turned over right now. Yeah, it's it's a strange new world out there. And, you know, we're of course, we're here to help and we hope the best because, you know, my fiance and I, we can't wait to get out on a regular basis because we probably eat out, you know, when back before COVID, we were out two to three times a week without a problem and loved it. You know, we have our haunts and we've talked about it on this podcast before. So, Rach, you know, think about this in the Miami area. All right. Uh, you can go to Lauderdale, what have you, or even up by Johnny and Palm Beach County. What do you feel is the most consistent Instagrammable moment in the food world in the Miami and or tri-state area, as we call it? Hmm. I will always bring up the magic of Barton G because okay. they always go over the top. They're, they literally bring a crane to a table that lowers a chocolate cake into a pothole of chocolate yep. syrup. I mean, it is just anything there is spectacular. They bring out a blowtorch that's this big or they, uh, and like melt this gold bar of chocolate and insides all this other chocolate cake. Or they um, bring out an entire lawnmower to the table. And, like, I haven't seen that have, yet. And that's like a, that one's a porterhouse, I think. And then there's like a gasoline can that's like the steak sauce that they then pour over it. I mean, just, you know, the, the oh, detail wow. they have there is incredible and I think unmatched. 
Field trip. I like that one. Yeah. All right. So just a couple of speed rails. So last week, as we heard us talk in the beginning, we had our first Bacardi talks and uh, we ended that uh, talk with what I like to call the speed rail. So these are just quick one-off questions. Uh, you can answer them kind of quick. Uh, and of course, boys, if you'd like to add your own flavor, it should be good. A little different than last week. Uh, mojito or daiquiri? Mojito. Mojito. All right. Dodge, mojito or daiquiri? Daiquiri. Daiquiri. Johnny? Mojito. I'm going to go daiquiri as well. I don't know why. And Dodge, you make a very good daiquiri. All right, let's go to Margarita Land. Wasting away again. Rachel, frozen or on the rocks? Frozen. Frozen, with or without salt? With. With. Dodgy? I don't drink tequila. Oh, boo. That's a whole (laughs) other story there, Rachel. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I... I got my over my tequila issue uh, 10 years ago, and that was after another previous 15 years of not drinking it. So uh, rocks with salt, please. Yeah, and uh, Patron for me, and make that rocks with salt. Uh, I always enjoy that. And last one from my end here, just for Rachel. I know you're a Chicago native, so uh, White Sox or Cubby? Uh, Cubs fan. North Cubs fan, there you go. All right. Hey, Dodge, how about the Chicago dog? So my, I got an email yesterday from my father-in-law. We're going up for a 4th of July weekend. And he's like, so you need to come up with two different hot dogs, specialty hot dogs. And what are we going to do? So we got to do a Chicago dog. So I ordered that neon green relish and the sports course. So those are already coming. Um, second hot dog I was going to do was a Columbia dog. So it's that mayonnaise and ketchup mixture with um, crushed pineapple. pineapple. And quail eggs on top with uh, like, like what crushed. The um, hell is that? Oh, it's so good. It's so, and and yeah. you know I was saying diabetic coma earlier. This will definitely give you that pineapple crushed pineapple on a hot dog. Just make Clear. mine without the eggs, please. Clear. I'm good with the other stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Johnny. We got we got the high sign to wrap it up. Any closing thoughts or comments there, Professor Chef John Noble Massey? No, I. Rachel, we really super enjoyed your your interview and your comments and hope you had a fabulous time as well. Thank you. Yeah, it was great to be here. Very <laughs> interesting and thought-provoking and one of the first times I've really kind of opened up about a lot of things post-COVID here. There you go. Teacher well, tame it at its finest. Yeah. Nathan Dodge, any closing things? I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, if you haven't registered for class yet, register. If you um, are not a FIU student, become one. Also, make sure that you do check us out on iTunes and Google Play and everything else. Leave us some feedback because let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. We will change and make it better. Absolutely. And then uh, closing thought on that, as always, uh, any more information you need on the Bacardi Center of Excellence, feel free to reach out to me at bconnors at fiu.edu. Rachel, thank you very much for joining us. And we have some exciting guests just like Rachel in different segments of the hospitality, food and beverage industry coming up in a couple of weeks. So no hints or, or tips on that. You just got to tune in and listen because as Dodgy <laughs> said, we're, we're forever changing in a good way. And, and you know, it's interesting, good Rachel, stuff. we're now getting a lot of great people like yourself that they want to come on with this we don't know what they're talking yeah good all right gang that's good right. for me anything else thanks very much perfect right, thanks, everyone Bye. thank you guys Woo-hoo.